Good morning, Cherrydale family and friends. So great to see you all. Um, and I want to thank precious brother Tom for inviting me to speak to you. When Tom texted me in February and uh, asked me to do it, I hesitated at first because he assigned me 2 Samuel chapter 10. <laughs> and when I read it, the first time I thought, interesting story, not sure how it applies to me. I mean, it's a story about a delegation that got shamed, a war broke out, and then there's a victory and then peace. Good story. How does that relate to me, Lord? And so I know this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So the problem was me, not the Scripture. And I said, Lord, open my eyes. And he did. He answered my prayer. And he pierced my heart. So I could hardly wait to come and share it with you. So I texted Tom and said, yes! <laughs> and God took me on a journey as I studied this passage. And uh, the journey led me to awaken to something. A great danger that every one of us face every single day of our lives. And at the same time, a great insight on how to deal with that danger effectively. So this morning, I'm going to take you on the same journey I went through. And I'm hoping that you are awakened to this great danger and you're inspired by the insight of how to deal with it. Now, the whole message is under three words. Guard your heart. Say that with me. Guard your heart. And what we're going to learn is what does that mean? Why is it so important? And how do you do it? And here's where my journey began. I looked at the chapter and its placement, and suddenly I had an aha moment. Right before this chapter and right after this chapter are starkly contrasting events in the life of King David. And the condition of his heart starkly contrasting. In chapter 9, one word marks David's heart, kindness. He's completely like other kings all around them. All around them, when a king got a new administration, he killed all of the descendants of the former king. That was standard operating procedure, not David. David instead says, Find me somebody from Saul's house. I want to show them kindness. What? This is shocking. King Saul was jealous of David, dishonored him constantly, put him on a hit list for 10 years. And David says, find me a descendant. I want to show them kindness. Who are you? And then he finds Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, who was crippled, an outcast in that culture. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you Saul's estate. I've got a team to farm it for you. And the rest of your life, you're sitting at my table. Now, let me tell you something about David. Why was he so kind? I know why. Because David was intentionally delighting in the kindness of God. And it shaped how he treated people. Now, when you come to the other side of this, it's shocking. 
This is David at his absolute worst. He plunges into a cesspool of corruption. And he takes his kingly power and he leverages it for evil. He takes the wife of one of his most loyal, mighty men who risked his life for David and sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and when he finds out she's pregnant, he has that man killed, and he lives the lie. Now, I know why David did that. Because David switched his delight from God, and David turned in his heart towards selfishness, and he delighted in his own power. And David suddenly became an abusive dictator. Now, the placement of 2 Samuel chapter 10 is right in the middle of those two things. And it's very intentional. First, it's a warning. It's a warning to me. If godly King David could suddenly become a killer and a liar and an abuser. Don't you think we've got the same seed in our heart? And if you think you don't, you're deceived, and so am I. That's a warning. Guard that heart. But on the other hand, David gives us insight on how to deal with this wicked heart we have. When David intentionally delighted in God, it showed up by showing kindness and justice to people. And when David delighted in selfish power, he became an abusive dictator. And the same is true of us. I'm already starting to get convicted. How about you? If you go through this passage and you heed the warning and the insights, and we talk about the condition of your heart, we need to know what the Bible says about the heart. Now, it's interesting. It's used almost a thousand times in Scripture. I'd call that a major theme. But if you go through all those references which I have, only a handful refer to that organ in your chest. The bulk of the references to the heart in the Bible deal with what you delight in, what you treasure. It's what drives you. It's what motivates you. It's what shapes your mind, will, and emotions. Now, Proverbs 4.23 warns us, Guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Did you notice it? It didn't say a pool. It's a spring. It's always flowing, always flowing. Whatever your heart most wants, your mind will consider it reasonable, your emotions will consider it valuable, and your will will consider it doable. That ought to scare the wits out of us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful and it's sick. You can't even understand yourself. In other words, every last one of us are bent towards selfishness. We must and we need to guard our hearts. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, every heart has a treasure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. 
So when we begin to dig down deep and ask ourselves, what's the real treasure of my heart? Where do I really find life? Where do I, what do I most trust in? Where are the good things that I'm turning into God things? What are the idols in my heart? In Matthew 15, 18, Jesus said, you can't hide it. Whatever comes out of your mouth fills your heart. Listen to yourself. Think of your self-talk. What's the idol that's exposing your heart condition? Guard your heart. So here's what I had to start facing. Face the truth. My heart needs guarding. My heart is sick and deceived. My heart has a treasure. It's probably the wrong one. And whatever comes out of my mouth exposes my heart. The heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. And this is why God doesn't focus on the externals. He zeroes in what's going on in your heart. That was my first stop. My second stop was a little broader. I looked at 1 Samuel all the way up to 2 Samuel chapter 10. And I saw the storyline, and I went, ah, ah, moment. There are three major characters there, the prophet Samuel, King Saul, and King David. And if you study through that, you'll see what the author wants you to get. How each of those men guarded their hearts, determined their destiny. The same is true of us. Samuel, as a boy, started guarding his heart. He was worshiping. He learned the Scripture. He was obedient. He grew up and he taught the Scripture to Israel. He set up schools of prophets. He brought in a great revival from the whole, for the whole nation. And where did that come from? It was flowing out of a delight in the heart of God. That's what shaped his destiny. And then he anointed Israel's first king, Saul. And Saul started out good. And in a short time, he became selfish and paranoid and superficial in his walk with God. He ended up dying by suicide after being wounded in a battle. And Saul's got a red flashing light over him for us. Saul refused to delight in God, and he was consumed by his own selfishness. The same is true of us. Then he anointed King David as king, the ruddy shepherd boy. And it's interesting what happens when Samuel is looking to anoint David as king. He looks at his handsome, strong brothers, and God says, oh, no, no, no. Don't look at their appearance or statue, for the Lord doesn't see as man sees. The Lord looks at the heart. Anoint David. And you study David's life, and he is marked by one thing. He's delighting in God. And look at how that shaped his life. As a result, the beginning of his administration, not bitterness to Saul. I want to bless him instead. I'm setting the tone, showing you God's kind heart. And David wanted to build a temple for God. 
David wanted God's name exalted. David, when he was anointed king over Judah and Israel, careful, I'm giving all the credit to God. And when he grew in great power, he leveraged it for justice and mercy and kindness. Where did all that come from? David intentionally delighted in God. So guard our hearts. Now when I look at Saul... There's a warning for me. Saul is a warning. You refuse to delight in God and mark it. You're going to be consumed by your own selfishness. That's the way life is. That puts the fear of God in me. How about you? And look at Samuel and David. Insight. How? How do I guard my heart? Delight in God. That's how you do it. Now, that took me then to the chapter itself, 2 Samuel chapter 10, and the same theme popped up, three movements in this chapter, and if you'll read it carefully, the author of the chapter wants you to pick up what's going on in the heart motivations of the kings that are mentioned. It's telling you the same message. Go to chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, the first movement, and look at the first two verses. Now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan, his son, became king in his place. David said, I'll show kindness to Hanan, the son of Naash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. We know where that kindness came from. David was delighting in God. Now, Hanan, on the other hand, when those delegates came, he got with his new administration, and they planted two questions in his mind, intentionally designed to plant in that king's heart, despise David. Don't receive his comfort. They said, do you think he came just to comfort you? Give me a break. They're here to spy out the land so they can attack us. Now, wake up to what happened. This king took the bait, fed the bitterness, and then he did something horrible. He took those delegates and utterly, completely shamed them. He cut off half their beards. That is a real shame in that culture. And then he cut off their robes so they were naked in public and sent them back. That was a declaration of war and total humiliation of that delegation. It came from what's going on in that king's heart. And then David responds. And look at what David does. He doesn't use those humiliated delegates. He refuses to use them as a pawn to feed bitterness toward them, toward the Ammonites. He won't do it. And instead, he covers their shame. Stay in Jericho till your beards grow back and the shame goes away. Now stop right there. Which king do you identify with? Do you intentionally feed, I want to bless people, I want to comfort people, I want to reflect the heart of God? Or listen to me. Are you listening to voices? that feed within you, distrust other people, label them, cancel them, write them off. Tell me that's not from the pit of hell. 
to go after your heart. This is giving us a warning and also an insight. What's your heart delighting in? When you come to chapter 10, verses 6 through 14, again, the heart motivations of the kings are exposed. Hanan not only shamed the delegates, he spread like a COVID this bitterness toward David to four other nations. And he emptied the treasury of the kingdom, hired warriors, and then he opened Pandora's box in 32,000. Thousand armed to the teeth soldiers were there to go kill David and wipe out his kingdom. It came from a bitter heart. When you go through this passage, David has to respond now. So David sends out General Joab, and he had been mentoring Joab. And Joab, when he got there, he had his brother, and they were surrounded, the north and the south, double attack and he spoke to his brother and he said look if they start getting me you come help me if they get you I'll come help you and then he gives them a charge to all of the troops and they were so powerful the enemy fled and ran away from them and they won a victory do not miss the heart of this encounter look at verse 12 this is what Joab said to the troops before they went into battle Be strong. Let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in His sight. Whatever comes out of your mouth fills your heart. What was filling this man's heart? The Lord. Courage in Him. Where did he learn that? He was mentored, if you study his life, by Samuel and David. And they hammered into his psyche and got into his heart. Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God will fight for you. The next scene is David has a counterattack. We learn that these people fled, but one of them had a dazer. He was defeated again. And if you study in 2 Samuel 8, you will discover that he had been defeated by David before, and he was at peace with David. But now he's counter, he has attacked him, and he's defeated again, and he's seething with rage. And so he gathers allies to come after David even stronger. And when you study this king's life, here's what you will find. He had a habit. It was ingrained. He was always attacking other nations for one reason. I want your treasures, and I want to expand my territory. He was selfish. And so he launches this counterattack with selfish, wicked motives. And God had grace on David, and he won. But did you notice... What it says about King David tells you something about his heart. When David won this battle and so many were killed, David refused to use it to put treasurers in his coffers. And he refused to use it to spread his territory. Instead, he leveraged that power to subdue the enemy and bring peace to the whole region. 
something's different between these kings' hearts. So pull this all together. When I went through this chapter, God began to whisper to me, you better wake up because there's something going on in your heart every day extremely dangerous. And if you don't guard it, don't think you're any different. But on the other hand, great encouragement. So, Lord, what do I do? I'm glad you asked, Steve. What you do is you delight in me. That's how you guard your heart. Now, let's talk about the danger of our heart. How many of you have insurance? How many of you have guards on your computer? How many of you lock your doors at night? I mean, it could go down the list. Every one of us just naturally assume we're in danger, so of course we take those dangers seriously and we guard, right? Here's what we don't take seriously. We just don't, and that's our root problem. I don't really believe I have a heart issue. I mean, eh, I'm, I'm good, bad, but not ugly. <laughs> when we don't face the truth, we've got to face it. My heart is sick. My heart needs guarding. My heart is an idol factory. And I desperately need to guard it. How do I do it? Ask yourself, what are you delighting in? Now, let's clarify. It is good and right to rejoice and delight in the good things God gives us. It's great to do that. They're gifts from God. The only problem is if you make those things ultimate things, if you make them your identity, your purpose, if you have a must-have, and if you lose that, you're a nobody. That's an idle trouble. And the only way you fight it is by delighting in God. Now, here was the aha for me on the part of delighting. Trace the delight of David's heart and you'll see yourself. When David delighted in God, automatically he was kind and gracious to people. When David delighted in himself, he became a destructor of other people. Same is true of us. Fourth century Augustine, Protestants and Catholics both appreciate him. He had a great insight. We have a major problem, distorted loves. We love, but it's distorted. We worship the creation more than the creator. And so how do we change our loves? Listen to this. You don't change it by willpower. You change it by changing what you delight in. Now, this is where I get so excited because the Bible is good news. It's the gospel of good news. I was designed and so were you to delight in the ultimate treasure, God himself. And he longs for me to do it and he wants me to be born again so that my life is marked by delighting in Him. And then delighting in Him, that's how I guard my heart. And I can get in on that. How about y'all? That's what church is about. And this is where the whole Bible opens up. 
The Bible is not just a lot of moral stories so you can get your act together, have a better life, and escape judgment. No, 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 no. The Bible is a unified story of God's amazing love and grace toward us. It's a unified story that always points to Christ. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them is eternal life. But listen, no, they point to me. If you don't see me, you've missed it. And when you see Jesus in every text, he's there. Your heart's inflamed. You start delighting. Take what we just went through. David points forward to Jesus. It's in that chapter. What did David do? He covered the shame of those delegates that were shamed. Does Jesus cover our shame with his blood and his righteousness? He went to war to defend his people. Did Jesus go to war for us and defeat our ultimate enemies? He leveraged his power to bring about peace. Does Jesus give us peace with God? There is no one like Jesus Christ. When you believe that he died for you personally and rose again and you're born again, let me tell you what you get. You get a new heart, a new heart that delights in him. You get a new power, the Holy Spirit. You get a brand new identity. You're united with Christ. You get a new purpose. I'm here for the glory of God. Now, I want to tell you, folks, for the last nine months, my world got turned around because I moved from wonderful Arlington, Virginia, and this great church to Waco, Texas, and the only people we knew were our precious son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter. And I stepped into a new world. I thought I was all prepared and my identity in Christ. And my second Sunday in, I was in my new church, our son's church, and I was standing in the back. And suddenly I had a major problem because I started thinking this way. I think the enemy was lying to me. You know, Steve, for the last 46 years, every time you went to church, you've been the pastor. You're not anymore. And furthermore, you're old. <laughs> and on top of that, you don't know these people, they don't know you. So who are you now, big boy? And for a minute, I felt so insecure and lonely and started turning in. And suddenly the Holy Spirit said, whoop, 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 back up. You never lost your identity. Wake up. You're united with Christ. The only thing that changed is I put you in a new place to show Christ. So get over yourself and love these people. And after that, I was fine. <laughs> I've never lost that. Now, yesterday, May and I were privileged to speak at the marriage conference. And the Lord, the sanctifier follows me around. And so to do this marriage conference, we had to go through training and humble ourselves and get all the slides right and practice. And, and we thought, well, we've done marriage conferences for, I mean, 50 years we've been married. I got some sanctification to do in you, Steve. So we practice these things, giving up bad habits, practicing new. But here's what it did in our hearts. All those things were good, but here's what changed us and always will. There's a third person in our marriage. And when we delight in him, that's when 
we forgive and love and care for each other, and our marriage brings us great joy. That's the heart of it. Now, May and I chose a passage of Scripture to go through this transition to Texas. And the Lord just delighted us in a special way. The passage is Romans 15, 13. This is my blessing on Cherrydale. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope... What does that say? What does that say? What does that say? What does that say? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, and may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the bottom line. Delight in God, and that's how you guard your heart. That's our hope. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're such a good shepherd. You're faithful. And you know all of the wickedness in our heart, and you respond by loving us and dying on the cross and rising again and coming after us and never letting us go. So change our hearts, O oh God. Come into our lives. Fill us. May we all be delighting in you every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.